for over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. They want to be afraid. They want to be able to point a finger at a race, at a religion, and say, these guys are the bad guys. They don't want to accept the fact that that guy sitting next to them in church, quoting scripture, could also be secretly planning, you know, this massive event, because that's what happened. They don't want to acquiesce to the fact that Muslims aren't bad people. It's the extremists that are the bad people. Christians aren't bad people. It's the extremists that are the bad people. Your neighbor can be building a bomb. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting very far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And before we jump into this episode, this week's episode is the conclusion of our three-part series on the horrific Oklahoma City bombing story. So if you've missed the last two weeks, stop right now and go back and listen to parts one and two. But what day is it today, Billy, before we jump in? It's International Bathtub Day. Oh, ooh, that's one I can get behind. And do you know that the earliest bathtub dates to 1700 BCE and it was found in Crete? Thank oh. you, check it in. Wow, that is a fun fact. I am not a big bath taker. I get too hot and I can't, and pruny, and I just can't stay in there long. It's not for me. It's not relaxing. Well, you know what? I enjoy a good bath. This is what I do on Sundays. I have the New York Times. I have a cigar. <laughs> I read the New York Times in the bath with my cigar. I cannot tell if you're being serious or you're being a poser. I take a bath every day. I mean, this is common knowledge. Every night I take a bath. Some mornings I do also. Sometimes I take two a day. I know. You are a big bath taker. I can't remember the last time I've taken a bath. It was probably 15 years ago. Wasting water. Me? For a shower? <laughs> no, I'm talking, I, about, I, I'm talking about Lex. Sorry. That was a, that was a fail, Billy. But... Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Was it? Okay. Once again, Billy's not funny. All right. Well, that's right. enough of that. Tell that to Mother Earth. So. Good one, let, Billy. Let's turn again. Still not, still not funny. 
Let's turn on the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. After the Oklahoma City bombing occurred in 1995, the investigation was the most time-consuming in the FBI's history. By the time it came to a close, the Bureau had conducted more than 20,000 interviews and followed some 43,000 investigative leads. It amassed three and a half tons of evidence and reviewed nearly a billion pieces of information. In our last two episodes, we've introduced to you Ron and Megan, both of whom whose lives were forever changed on the heels of this bombing. Last week, we took you through the events that led to the capture of the mastermind of this horrific act of violence, Timothy McVeigh. But even with his arrest, the story was far from over because it's one thing to identify the culprit, but how and why still needed to be addressed. And the biggest question at this point, did he act alone? Right. And here's what we know. By April 21st, Timothy McVeigh was the lead suspect in the bombing when investigators connected him to the rider truck that was stuffed to the brim with explosives and parked outside the building right before the explosion. And 1988 was a significant year for McVeigh for two important reasons. The first, this was the year that he enlisted in the U.S. Army at 20 years old. And the second reason is because in the army, he met a man who became a close friend of his. And this man's name was Terry Nichols. And why is Terry Nichols significant? Well, it's because 40-year-old Terry Nichols would ultimately turn himself into law enforcement for his role in the plot. And he did so in Harrington, Kansas. So what was Nichols' role in the plot? And how did he and McVeigh meet? Following Nichols' arrest, his home was searched and law enforcement found blasting caps, detonating cords, ground ammonium nitrate, barrels made of plastic similar to fragments found at the bombing site. But that's not all. They also found 33 firearms, anti-government warfare literature, a receipt for ammonium nitrate fertilizer with McVeigh's fingerprints on it, a telephone credit card that McVeigh had used when he was shopping for bomb-making equipment, and a hand-drawn map of downtown Oklahoma City. So all of that adds up and it shows that Nichols had a significant hand in the bombing. So what do we know about Terry Nichols? Nichols was born in Michigan, and when he met McVeigh in 1988 in the Army, he was the oldest guy in the platoon. And the pair's friendship blossomed over their shared interests in similar backgrounds. They both grew up in rural areas, they both were college dropouts, and they both came from broken homes. They also both collected guns and both shared similar political views. In 1989, Nichols requested a quote-unquote hardship discharge from the military. Then in 1990, he married a mail-order bride who was from the Philippines. But there's kind of a plot twist here. When she arrived, she was pregnant with someone else's baby. Oops, I guess, you know, it's a crapshoot when you get a mail-order bride, and that's what happened. But why is this significant to our story? Well, because this baby was ultimately born, but when this baby was two years old, he died by suffocating in a plastic bag while Terry Nichols was babysitting him. So Nichols' wife suspected foul play, but since there were no bruises or any real signs of physical trauma on this child, the death was ultimately ruled accidental. 
And despite this fact, the couple went on to have two more children together. And we're going to switch back gears to McVeigh. The same year that he met Terry Nichols in 1988, he also became a member of the National Rifle Association, or the NRA. And while Nichols left the military, McVeigh did not. He served in the Gulf War, and he rose in the ranks, being promoted to corporal, to sergeant, and then to platoon leader. Fellow soldiers who served with McVeigh recalled his infatuation with reading The Turner Diaries, and this book is a racist, anti-Semitic novel about a soldier in the underground army. And while he was in the army, McVeigh failed to qualify for the special forces program. And this was because he was unable to do a 90 minute march with a 45 pound pack. And following the failure, he accepted an early discharge offer and left in the fall of 1991. In the four years following his discharge, McVeigh reconnected with Nichols. The pair sold military surplus materials at gun shows. Then in 1993, another significant event occurred that began to sculpt the dangerous ideology that McVeigh would adapt. April 19th, 1993, Waco, Texas. So in February of 93, ATF agents went to serve a warrant at the Branch Davidian compound. And they were there because the Davidians were stockpiling a lot of weapons and ammunition. They go to serve the warrant. It doesn't go well. There's a firefight. Six members of the Davidians and four ATF agents are killed. And then they drop back and a siege begins. And it's 51 days is how long the siege takes. But it's not being coordinated by the FBI. The siege ends when authorities storm the compound with tear gas. The Davidians lit the building on fire and 76 people died, including 25 children. Now, McVeigh and Nichols, they were together as they watched the standoff between the Davidians and the ATF. And McVeigh even traveled to Waco because he was so angry with the siege. McVeigh became obsessed with the fear that the government could take away people's guns. The germination of their plan for the bombing began in September of 94, when the duo rented a storage shed and began gathering supplies for the truck bomb they'd ultimately built. They stole dynamite and blasting caps from a rock quarry the following month. And McVeigh and Nichols laid out their plan to bomb a federal building in Oklahoma City. And they drew a diagram showing how they planned to put this bomb together, and they laid out their entire plan on paper. And they did this in their friend's living room. And their friend's name was Michael Fortier. So McVeigh tried to recruit Fortier to help with this plan and asked him to help with mixing the bomb's components and help station a getaway car. But this friend refused. So for the most part, it's commonly believed that Fortier knew about the plan but refused to partake, but also did nothing to stop it. So on April 16th, three days before the bombing, McVeigh and Nichols drove to Oklahoma City to drop off the getaway car the same one that McVeigh was pulled over in and ultimately arrested in. Then, as we know, they were successful in this delusional, senseless act of evil. So to pinpoint or summarize McVeigh's motives, it's complex, but in an effort to make it succinct, McVeigh claimed he targeted the building to avenge this raid that occurred on Waco. And the reason he zeroed in on the Alfred P. Murrah building was to target the ATF office that was located in this building. And it's also because the ATF was the branch of the government who initially served a warrant to the Branch Davidian Ranch in February of 93. 
And people like our first degrees, Ron, who lost his wife, and Megan, who almost lost her mother, struggled to wrap their minds around the motives of McVeigh and Nichols. That asshole parked that truck right on the side, not the side of the building. I guess he was trying to go after the ATF guys. They were on the other side of the building. But he parked it right in front of the building. And, and he, as he, cause he surveyed this building, he walked right by the daycare that was right there. All these little kids were, and that's where he parked the truck. And it, and it, you know, if you look at that thing, it sheared that side of the building up. It wasn't nature versus nurture at all. It was nurture. He was born into this culture. He was part of this compound alt-right extremist. He said he was anti-government, but this group that he was with was a patriot. He whines about, you know, Waco and these innocent lives, and then he whines about being in Iraq and having to shoot people. And he goes home and does this. It was because he was born into hatred. He, that culture that he was living in, these compounds, these radicalists, I don't care what type of radicalist you are, the word radicalist is dangerous. McVeigh and Nichols were both charged with 11 counts. The first three were for conspiring to use a weapon of mass destruction to kill persons and destroy federal property, for using a truck bomb to kill people, and for malicious destruction of federal property resulting in death. The remaining eight counts were for violating a federal murder statute that punishes the killing of federal law enforcement officials, one count for each of the eight law enforcement officers killed in the blast. And by this point, Ron had gone through countless stages of grief. And by the time the court proceedings began, he had had enough. I just kind of said, stay out of it. I'm not going to be part of any of this. I got I got a job to do. People are looking at me. I mean, I would go to like when they had visits somewhere, the president or whatever. They send agents from the field to go and augment the protection details. And I would walk into these things. <laughs> Everyone would be looking at me. As far as the trials are concerned, Michael Fortier agreed to testify against McVeigh and Nichols in exchange for a reduced sentence. So he pleaded guilty to four lesser counts of transporting stolen firearms, conspiracy to transport firearms, lying to federal officials, and of knowing about the crime and failing to report it. McVeigh's trial was moved to Colorado after a ruling said that he couldn't get a fair trial in Oklahoma. The family of 270 victims were notified, but only 16 mothers, wives, daughters, and grandfathers chose to speak in open court of the effect the crime had had on their lives. 163 witnesses presented, 137 for the prosecutors, 25 for the defense. And the prosecutor, Joseph Hartzler, he began his opening statement by reminding the jury of the terror and the heartbreak of that day. Here's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, April 19th, 1995, was a beautiful day in Oklahoma City. At least it started out as a beautiful day. The sun was shining, flowers were blooming, it was springtime in Oklahoma City. The defense argued that McVeigh was only a player of a large conspiracy, whether that was Middle Eastern terrorists or right-wing supremacist groups. Defense attorneys claimed the government conducted a hasty investigation. And this was all BS.
Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries of state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on the first degree. And when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV. And that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. We won't bore you with the ins and outs of this trial, but we do want to draw your attention to part of Fortier's testimony. At one point, the prosecution asked him, quote, did you have any discussion about the deaths that such a bomb would cause? Fortier responded. I asked him about that. I said, quote, what about all the people? He said that McVeigh responded and said, Using the terms from the movie Star Wars, McVeigh explained to him that he considered all of those people to be as if they were stormtroopers in the movie Star Wars. They may be individually innocent, but because they are part of the evil empire, they were they were guilty by association. All right, I'm going to step in right here with this. This, by the way, is a line also from Clerks. And clerks, I believe, happened after this, but still the idea of, well, these people that were working in the um, uh, on the Death Star, they were working on it and then they got blown up, might have, you know, they were still supporting this cause. I hate the fact that they use that 
you know, we know a lot about the history of the stormtroopers. I can go on forever. I'm going to stop right now, but screw this guy. Fuck this guy. So Timothy McVeigh was found guilty of all 11 counts of murder, conspiracy, and using a weapon of mass destruction. McVeigh sat expressionless at the defense table as the verdict was read. Terry Nichols was found guilty on one count of conspiracy and eight counts of involuntary manslaughter. McVeigh was sentenced to death, and Nichols was sentenced to life at a supermax federal prison after the jury was deadlocked over the decision of the death penalty. However, after failing to get the death penalty in federal court, people in Oklahoma pressured the state to intervene. And during that trial, Nichols was convicted on 161 counts of first-degree murder, including fetal homicide. He then received 161 consecutive life terms in prison. McVeigh asked a federal judge to stop all appeals of his convictions and set a date for his execution. It's probably the only noble thing that he ever could have done. I disagree because it's almost like he did it to be a martyr. Yeah, yeah. he might be right. Uh, like, I, yeah. I think he he positioned himself like he didn't eat before. He, he, he did it to, like, get people to rally behind him yeah. for his alt-right shit. And could it have also been that he ultimately, like, decided his fate at the end where it was, like, a control thing? I think so. Yeah. That's a really astute point. So it was ultimately set for June 11th of 2001, and his execution would be held in Terre Haute, Indiana, as the first federal prisoner to be put to death there since 1963. So at 7 a.m., he was dressed in a shirt, khaki pants, and slip-on shoes, and a restraint team strapped him to a crude gurney within the execution chamber. 30 people directly watched McVeigh's final moments, while another 300 victims and relatives gathered in Oklahoma City to watch the event on closed circuit TV. Now, the broadcasting of his execution on closed circuit TV was something that in history had never been done before. And to note, his last meal, two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Not a bad choice, by the way. You know that's my favorite ice cream. It's also my favorite ice cream. McVeigh made no final statement, but he left a handwritten copy of the poem Invictus with its concluding lines, quote, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, which also corroborates what Jack said, where it was control. Mm-hmm. He yep. sacrifices appeals. He's this, he's martyring himself. He thinks. Don't ask. We all know that he's pathetic and sad, but anyways. So after McVeigh was given the lethal injection, He was pronounced dead at 7.14 a.m. Ron Brown, one of our first degrees, who has lost his wife, Cindy, who was a Secret Service agent, he opted not to attend the execution or watch it via closed-circuit TV. You know what I was doing that day? I rented a house right on the Columbia River, and I had a couple of jet skis. So I was out on the Columbia River jumping wakes from barges that were going by, which you're not supposed to do, but I was doing it anyhow. And I was thinking to myself, I'm out here doing this. It's a sunny day out, and that motherfucker is dead. I win. Megan followed Nichols and McVeigh's court proceedings closely. Terry Nichols actually was convicted of 168 counts of murder. And, you know, the plotting and help building the bomb and all of that, the execution and 
Timothy McVeigh, I think, got convicted of 11. I mean, he got convicted of a significantly less amount of deaths. He was executed. Terry Nichols wasn't. I remember the conviction date more because I remember one of the texts I sent out saying, guilty motherfucker. (laughs) That, for me, was more important than the execution. But the fact that this American, one of our own, I really think that even me being, you know, anti-death penalty, I did have this sigh of relief. I didn't want to have it, but it gave me... um, a guilty sense of satisfaction. It's like everybody could just exhale. We'd all been holding our breath, and then it was like, it's over. But then we came to realize it really wasn't over. You know, the repercussions just never stopped. They're still present. And as we know, just because convictions and sentences were handed down doesn't mean the impact this tragedy had on those who lost their loved ones ended. I'll say one thing that happened. This is when Clinton was still president. President Clinton was going to the dedication ceremony of the Oklahoma City Memorial. So I get a call from one of the assistant directors on the detail. He said, hey, Ron, the president wants you to come with him to Oklahoma City for the dedication. And I just, I said, sir, um, I haven't been back there since that day. I just don't really want to do that. And he's like, he's just like, he's kind of taken back. He's like, well, Ron, he really, and then I'm like, yeah, I just, it's not something I want to do. And then I got like three more calls from supervisors. And, and the last guy, he was cool. I mean, he was just like, what are people asking you, Ron? I said, I, I told him, he said, oh, Jesus. He said, he said, don't, don't fucking worry about that. You, you don't have to go on that thing. I'm like, thanks. Because here's the deal. I would have, I would have been there with the president, you know, the arm around me or some bullshit like that. And then like all my friends around me and I got to, you know, I just, it wasn't something I wanted to do. There were probably a supervisor or two that were probably not too happy with me for declining an invitation <laughs> president in retrospect i probably should have done it but uh at the time i was like no fuck that there's no doubt that the oklahoma city bombing tragedy like all tragedies demonstrates both sides of humanity the light and the dark i realized how good people could be i also realized what shitbags people could be i probably got more cynical good side of it uh it toughened me up and made me stronger uh bad side of it is i took chances that i probably would not have taken before this happened and uh some of them were kind of dangerous with even stuff i did with secret service and stuff i mean going out on things by myself or i should have had people with me um you know confronting bad guys maybe a little bit more uh, sternly than I would have. Um, I didn't tolerate BS very much. For Megan, the light she observed on the heels of this tragedy showed her something about the place where she grew up. I've moved all over the country. 
I consider my home Oklahoma. Our number one thing was we will never forget. We will never forget, and we call this the Oklahoma standard. The one thing I can say about Oklahomans in particular is that no matter what, during the Oklahoma City bombing, during the May 3rd, 1999 tornado, it goes without saying. They don't have to ask. These media doesn't have to ask. These blood banks are filled to capacity. People are setting up food centers. People are offering their homes for shelter. And it doesn't matter what race, what religion, all that matters is that these people are Oklahomans. These people need help. And nobody turns anybody away, ever. While this is where the McVeigh story ends, it's not quite the end of our story for many reasons. Because the ideology held by McVeigh while he planned the bombing did not die along with him. It's not that surprising for me that it was going on at this time. It was a wake-up call to the severity of these alt-right supremacists. I think they've always been there. I just think that now that they've been given such a voice because of social media, people are, like, realizing that these people exist. But they've always been there. It's at a boiling point, you know? The next attack on this country is going to be one of our own. It's it's not going to be a foreign attack, I don't believe. I think it's already happening. I think people are already plotting. It's, it's scary. It's really scary. We've seen it over and over with these school shootings, with these guys, you know, hitting up the nightclub. And all of those are just conveniently forgotten because they're these alt-right extremists calling themselves patriots, ironically, even though they're anti-government. And it's like that gets kicked by the wayside. And I think right now at this boiling point, it's more important than ever to remind people of that. Your neighbor can be building a bomb. They want to be afraid. They want to be able to point a finger at a race, at a religion, and say, these guys are the bad guys. They don't want to accept the fact that that guy sitting next to them in church, quoting scripture, could also be secretly planning, you know, this massive event because that's what happened. They don't want to acquiesce to the fact that Muslims aren't bad people. It's the extremists that are the bad people. Christians aren't bad people. It's the extremists that are the bad people. And it's hard to comprehend how two people could bring themselves to perform an act that would ultimately take the lives of 168 people. Every year, anytime I see the numbers 419 together, and every year that date approaches, I'm in this state of mourning and reverence and flashbacks. We're surrounded by churches, and every single church there, they ring their bell 168 times. We have the Oklahoma City Marathon. We have the Right to Remember. And everybody shows up to those events. Everybody does. It's a big day in Oklahoma. Nobody there 
has forgotten, except for, of course, the people that weren't old enough or weren't born yet. But it is a day like 9-11 back home. Now, while I'm here, right now I'm in Arizona. Nobody even gives a second thought. And if I mention it, they're like, oh, oh yeah, like it's not a big deal. And then, on, you know, everybody remembers 9-11 because I guess they were more deaf or because it was foreign. But it's hard because we get forgotten because a quote-unquote larger tragedy happened that day. In May of 1995, the Alfred P. Murrah building was fully demolished. And in 2000, the Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum was constructed in its place. It contains a reflecting pool with gates on either side, one marked with 9.01 a.m., the other 9.03, the time of the blast. To its south are bronze and steel chairs, one for each victim killed in the blast. And there are 19 smaller chairs for each child lost. Why chairs? Because they represent the empty chairs at the dinner table, the chairs that would never be filled again. Thank you to both Ron and Megan for being our first degrees for this episode. If you're out there and you have a story to tell, please, please email us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time and we're always pulling everybody in our Facebook group for fun killing time segments. And then on that note, stick around because we're going to kill sometime. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But, but not that close. close. It always feels like we're doing it at the same time in the beginning. Of the feels good. It felt good though. That felt really like in tune though, Jack. I love you. Happy bathtub day. Mm, no. Shout out to Jared Monaco for sound design and original music. He makes exclusively for the first degree. Thanks to our production team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode include CNN, the FBI, the Washington Post, the LA Times, ABC News, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. All right. Well, welcome to yet another episode of The Killing Time. The Killing Fuck. Time is back for Fuck. Jack just now. <laughs>
Why? Oh no, it felt so natural. I take it back. That's me, the stealth bomber. Just plant it in your subconscious and it manifests on, on its own. I know. Have you been like, have you been giving me subliminal messaging over the past few weeks to get it to the? That's right. You just keep saying the, the, the. That's right, Jacqueline. You know how I roll. Damn it. Well, you know, I'm pissed, number one. But number two, um, I thought that for this episode of Killing Time, we'd get a little spooky. You know, it's Halloween season. Right. It's fall time. Language. We should get some we should get some spooky vibes up in here. Yes, witch vibes. Witch vibes. That's what Alexis and I were for Halloween last year. I cannot believe that was a year ago. That feels like I just bought that stuff on Amazon yesterday. I know. For that outfit. I know. You just blink and now we're back to October. Um, so for my first, I pulled our Facebook group. Thank God we have them. I, I can't come up with anything on my own. But no, I we're not great. They're the brains of this operation. Yes. And, and I'm our Facebook group, I really do love our Facebook group. I think it's up to 8,500 people. You know what's crazy is I, well, I never look at numbers, but recently we looked at our downloads of our podcast. We're looking at our Instagram. We're looking at the Facebook group and I'm like, fuck, we've really grown. The fr- the firsties are out and about and I love it. We have the best Facebook group. They really are. And we also have the best mods. I know. Yes. They Shout handle out to the stuff. Mods. Yes. Our mods handle shit. And I, mm-hmm. I know because sometimes people, you know, when you have a Facebook group, people think that you're in there 24-7 reading every single post, which we are at, we are not. We try to. Alexis comments on most things. No. Billy does. Billy, no, Billy's screen time is up from last week. <laughs> what, are we <laughs> what are we at now? What are we at now? Check your phone. I bet you. Have you, been, have you been logging into my phone? I bet you it is. I bet you it's up. But I, the things that pop up in my feed, which would be um, members I interact with, eight hours and 34 minutes is Billy's daily average right now. That is so absolutely insane. All right. So, <laughs> but Google Billy. Maps is two, is two hours of that, though. Mm. Messaging is is two hours. Netflix messaging is Netflix two, is an hour wait, and fifteen minutes. But you don't minutes. watch Netflix on your phone. Sometimes I do. Safari no, is you a, don't. Billy. Yeah, Spotify is. This is not like it's not me looking at my my yeah I, yeah I yeah yeah Billy. Excuses, excuses. Week, that's that's your average, and those are your most used. No, Billy, you're on your phone too much. Okay. Anyways, enough of Billy's screen time. We are we talked enough about his screen time last time. Um, so our firsties, I was compiling some some questions from our firsties, and the first thing and the major thing that everybody wants to know our opinion of is candy corn. No. Negative. We we all agree that candy corn is a no go. What I like to do with candy corn is put them in my mouth in a weird way and make them look like my teeth. Mm. but i don't want to eat then i spit them out <laughs> or I make them look like little vampire teeth and then i spit them out all right in the I, trash. I will say this about candy corn they make these candy pumpkins that are like candy corn pumpkins that have a little bit of chocolate in them Ew. i can i can deal with those i'm all about those listen and i love anything halloween so i don't want to completely disparage disparage the corn, the corn mm. but at the end of the day i would rather choose 
a lot of other things other than candy corn. What I want to know is what is the flavor? I was of candy just going to ask that. What is the candy corn flavor? And also, is there actually any food in a candy corn? Because it just is tastes it like styrofoam. It's like corn. No, candy corn is supposed it's to sugar. taste like witch's blood. That is Billy. such a fucking lie. All right, look it up. Which is not real, Billy. Look it up. I did just learn for the first time in my 33 years of existence, this is probably last year, that the corn, the candy corns, when you put them all together, they make a corn on the cob. On the cob. Yeah. But maybe the flavor is supposed to taste like corn. You know how like a grape flavor tastes nothing like grape? Yeah, it just tastes, yeah, it tastes like grape flavor. But like it's made up. That's not what grapes taste like at all. It's a made up like flavor maybe that's what corn artificial sweetened corn to the maker they've been trying they've been trying to like yeah conceive this idea of what corn actually tastes like i don't buy it i I don't know if there's anybody out there that actually likes a candy corn you guys have anybody uh, people just dump it in the trash alexis's new phrase is corn to the maker (laughs) do you want to give me a definition (laughs) i don't know it's something that she says in her raps now I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know where this is coming from. I've Alexa, never said that. Alexa, you just said it just now. Corn to the maker. I meant Roll like I meant like the maker of candy corn created this flavor. It's like where did the flavor of bubble gum come from? Where did the flavor of Dr Pepper come from? They what just you, make these things up. It doesn't. Occur, it doesn't occur who, in nature. Who are all these people? Created <laughs> this idea. Great nuts. It's not great. Well, I it's feel not like nuts. the the isn't. Well, wasn't like Coca-Cola originally had cocaine in it. So I feel like the Coca-Cola taste was probably to mask the intense metallic flavor of cocaine, probably metallic. Yeah, but Coke is such Coca-Cola is such a distinct flavor. You do wonder where they came up with it. Is it like a dash of vanilla? Like I know Dr. Pepper, the old commercials used to say it had like flat flavors or something. Yeah, exactly. But like even a flavor like bubble gum, like Mm -hmm. what is that? What did what do they make that from? And how and did, I feel like candy how, corn is like that. Yeah. And how did somebody they came up with it? They're like, this is the this is it. And you know this happened like a hundred years ago. So like back oh, yeah. in like the early 1900s, they're like, mm, yeah. Oh yeah. And then they landed on the candy corn flavor, which people hate. Yeah. And they're like, Eureka. And then it's also like the best-selling Halloween candy somehow still. Because that's probably because it's been around for probably the longest. And it was like the only form of candy back. I'm really just like have no idea if this is true or not, but I'm assuming it was one of the first candies and it was the, like the only candy and people you know, back in the day when you haven't tasted like gloriousness, you like think that shitty things are tasty. It's like when I was a vegan and I thought cafe gratitude food was good. And then I started oh. eating meat and I'm like, this oh, tastes easy. like cardboard. Cafe gratitude is not good. Have you tried their pancakes? You're awful. Okay, Just go to but, IHOP. But when you go to cafe gratitude, you, you, you got to talk like about your recent you, dream. I like the way that you order their marketing. So like, I'll have one um, hot cup of I'm grateful for my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, no. For anybody listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, there's this restaurant called Cafe Gratitude. It's in Venice and a couple other spots in LA. It's very hippy-dippy. Everything is labeled, I am uh, uh, endless, or I am grateful, or I am humbled. I am a tumbleweed in the wind looking for my <laughs> final destination. And then when they place you... 
write your order with them or whatever. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to leave now. And I want everybody to talk about a recent dream that they have had. Okay, namaste. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, god damn it. No. You know what? I think it's a force for good. I mean, I like the idea of it. I don't like it in practice. And I don't like their food. If the food tasted good... I would love it. Like veggie grill. Veggie grill is vegan and tastes amazing. Because veggie grill just makes all their shit out of like, uh, it's just a bunch of junk food. And it's delicious. Why don't you just go to Taco Bell and say a prayer before the Taco Bell and then you eat your Mexican pizza and it'll be okay. I did learn that apparently there is, I learned this from Becca from my other podcast, there is a secret Taco Bell vegan taco on the menu. And I don't know how to order it, but it is apparently delicioso. Delicioso. It's delicioso. Swiper no, swiper, no swiping. I don't. Why do you keep bringing up Dora the Explorer? Because it's an awesome show. You don't even have young children. I had young children when Dora the Explorer no, was didn't. a thing. Yes. Dora the Explorer is like new, isn't it? It's not. It was around like 15 years ago or so. Yeah. Okay. No. Anyways, next question. We're just going to stay on this candy thing. This is good. What is everybody's favorite Halloween candy and least favorite Halloween candy? I already know the answer to this for me. Go for it. So my favorite ever is Kit Kat. Really? Because I like to bite the chocolate off the sides and off the top. And then I peel the wafers apart and eat them without chocolate on it. It's the best tasting thing. Okay. Ever. Least favorite, I hate like sugary candies. Mm-hmm. I don't like pixie sticks or, Ugh. you know, like things like that. So I, mine is kind Almond of. Almond Joy or Mounds also. Uh, fuck you. Bleh. Mine is sort of similar to yours where my favorite is a Twix. And I used to love getting a Twix and then getting a pretzel and then scraping the top of the Twix with the pretzel and then having a little pretzel surprise, a little pretzel caramely chocolate surprise, and then eating the Twix wafer or whatever it was, cookie, separately. So I got two snacks in one. This is similar to what I did with the Kit Kat. And the Twix is my next favorite. I love Twix. Twix is delicious. And then, yeah, my least favorite. We're the same, Alexis. We love a chocolate and then we hate a... I hate a sweet. I hate a candy. A sugary. A senseless... A senseless starburst. I like a, a starburst is okay, but like a smarty or like, yeah. uh, like those little, remember those little cola, like Ew. things the, that you would take wax, off the yeah. wax chews. Billy, what's your favorite and least favorite? My favorite would be a tie between pennies and apples. Always <laughs> love the, the, uh, the one woman on the block that would give out either pennies or apples. Are you talking that's about pennies penny. like the coin? Yes. That's you never went candy. to a house? That's not candy, Billy. We're asking your coins. favorite candy. Billy, you're okay, showing your age. My favorite candy would be Reese's uh, peanut butter cups. My least favorite would be probably uh, Mary Jane's. What's a Mary Jane? Or, or bit of honeys or something. Ew, bit of honey. Same. Yeah. I don't even know what either of those are. Or Werther's. If you get a Werther's original. See, it's I like, don't what? hate a Werther's. 
Yeah, you're like an old lady at heart, though. That makes sense. It's like just like a nice little butterscotch. It's very on brand for you, actually. It it is. You should be the lady in like 20 years. You just keep in your purse, Jack, and hand them to kids. You're just going to hand them to kids randomly (laughs) and then tell the kids, oh, have one now. I'm going to go to sleep at at six. Here you go, little kitties. I feel like as an adult, I shouldn't be giving kids candy out of my purse. I think you should. And also, you know those, those candies? They've got like strawberry print wrapping paper what and there's like are a strawberry cold they're gross what gross, you know what gross strawberry Ch- candy. No. In the, in the we're not talking about her I'm just right now they're <laughs> they candies. have pineapple um at, at the uh, office where that we're doing the show there's pineapple there's strawberry and then you bite into them and boom there's a uh a little jelly surprise i I love like those. Jellies. And that is so not something that I usually like, but there is something very comforting about those candies because they're always available at like doctor's offices or just somewhere. There was, it was always like a childhood kind of thing that like brings back the nostalgia. They're very nostalgic. That's how I feel about Werther's. I just love the strawberry. It's so good. Do we have any other candies? No, we we're getting Jack for her um, yeah. frozen embryo party. <laughs> A bag of strawberry squish jelly candies I and a bottle of tequila. Do you know what I will? Ooh. You, know, you know what I will say is that whenever I would go to a house and they would give away a a pack of gum, mm. like bubble yum or something like that, that was always a win. It was always so hard to chew and dry, and then your jaw hurt. What? Trying to chew like what a gum, like bubble like gum, a sim- no. like a yeah. single wrapped. No, piece I'm not talking of about gum. a single wrapped gum. I'm talking about like a bubble yum, like mm, five. Bad for your jaw. What and by the, the way, bubble yum when- in the wrapper, and it was so it was so dry, and you could barely even get it to like turn into actual gum. Exactly. No, I think you're not having the right bubble yum. Uh, or maybe you just have jaws like a piranha. I wanted to be the cool house <laughs> on the block. So when when I first had a house, I bought the giant uh you know the regular size candy bars and i was like the house that gave out the regular size candy bars for about 10 years you were that house wait what yeah. was bubble yum i'm looking at the it was like the zebra flavor they have like a no. watermelon flavor. no that's fruit stripe is the no, zebra no, flavor i'm not i'm thinking about the, the big listen i like getting the bubble yums i like getting the bags of m&ms the big ones i like those houses maybe i will trick-or-treat it at your house in nest concert billy when i was a child and you were an adult living there <laughs> <laughs> oh right. i feel like that is a good place to end because that was the best zinger yeah. i've ever heard zing yeah. zing billy my- zing I'm, I'm gonna go into my cryo chamber now okay you and walt disney okay, go have fun okay so time of death 14 30 beep 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 motherfucker